Yeah, I don't think there's any one thing that you would say, oh, will they do that that's at phone or that other clubs don't do. But I do think that the mix of all of the things together sort of does make us unique in the way that we operate. And it might be difficult for me to communicate that. And if you, someone like yourself came and watched us work for a week or a day, you might see much more clearly, but I'll do my best. I think for us, our multifaceted approach is, like I said, all clubs try to do that, but we look at it in sort of four, four pillars four key areas and those are movement literacy and, and movement quality lifestyle so that's a whole host of things underneath that but movement is the same periodization and planning and then dna hello and welcome to the prepare like a pro podcast make sure if you haven't already to subscribe to my youtube channel to receive a notification and never miss a live interview I hope you enjoyed this interview and please share with a friend or a teammate that you think will value this episode. Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. My name is Jack McLean. I'm the host and today my guest is Lee Egger, who's currently the head of performance at Feyenoord Rotterdam. And we're going to be discussing a multifaceted approach to physical development as well as high performance football. So athletes, parents of athletes, and of course, high performance staff, make sure to stick around. If you've got any questions for us, if you're tuning in live, hit us up on the comment section below. And really looking forward to this chat. Thanks for jumping on, Lee. Thanks for having me, Jack. Pleasure. For those that aren't aware of your work, mate, do you mind providing us with a, a background? Yeah. So I hail from Sydney and we were discussing just before my background and my initial trade or my studies was in physiotherapy. So I had a, two degrees and my second was a master of physiotherapy, but always had an interest in strength and conditioning and performance, performance training, I guess. Been lucky to have some really good mentors over the years that have helped me a lot. I played football when I was younger, not to a fantastic level, but enough to teach me some lessons and yeah, give me some cool experiences. And yeah, sort of worked in a little bit more so rugby and football than anything else, but a few different, few different sports, mostly in the area of yeah, rehab coaching, physiotherapy, such as like yourself and uh, performance sector and yeah i made the move four seasons ago almost four years now to the netherlands to take up a gig that i couldn't turn down at, at final so yeah that's that's a crash course of along that journey who have been some strong influences or mentors if you like that have helped shape your philosophy yeah i've i've been super lucky as i mentioned i, I really think i hit the jackpot in terms of that I've definitely had three or four in my life that have been super, super valuable and, and even more than that, but definitely the ones that have shaped my philosophy and the way that I work is certainly John Pryor is one who you've had on the podcast before, coached me since I was, I think, 12, 13 as a young, brawny little footballer. So learned an enormous amount from him, can't, can't speak enough to that. Franz Bosch is one that I live closer to in the Netherlands now as well, who John actually introduced me to and his approach and philosophy sort of around coordination-based training. A lot of his work is, yeah, it, it shapes a lot of how I look at problems and how I function day-to-day -day at the moment and throughout my career. I was lucky to have meet those two quite early on. So even through university studies, I sort of had this a different lens or a perspective to look at everything that you might be exposed to or, or pick up at university. And I think that, that really helped me. It wasn't like I, I sort of found them much later on. So I feel like I'm super lucky for that. And one other one that I should mention is Pete Collegiri is a sports physiotherapist in, in Sydney, Peter, I should say, but also a fantastic guy, more from the medical side of things than the other two, but his anatomy and biomechanical and pathological knowledge is 
second to none. Fantastic guy. And I learned so much from him. So there is more for sure that started to come to mind, but I would have to single out those as probably the, the big three influences in, in my career trajectory, but also in my skill sets and my knowledge base at the moment. How did you get in contact with John at the age of 12? Was that hooked up from your parents or soccer coach? It was or- pure, yeah, it was pure coincidence, really. I think at the time, John had just moved to Narrabeen, which is on the northern beaches of Sydney, and he'd opened up his own sort of studio gym. I think he was working with Wallabies at the time or something, maybe it was Waratahs or something like that. But the gym was right really close to Narrabeen Sports High School where I went to school, went to high school to go in the, in the, the targeted sports program there as a footballer. And I was just technically quite good, had some really good football coaching, and I just was lacking that, that speed sort of power edge even at a young age. That's what the, the coaches were telling me to work on. And so my mother and my father, but mostly my mother sort of was asking around, you know, who are the best people to, to go to for that? And one of the names that came up was John and, and also his wife, Beck Fryer. And yeah, I trained with them too and some other people at their gym from a really young age. And yeah, just got exposed to a lot of the, the types of work that, that JP, as he's, as he's known, that, that JP does. Yeah, for many, many years. And then it got to a point where I was, okay, I'm going to start looking at university studies and stuff while I'm still playing football. And one of the people that I asked that the advice of was him, what should I do and where should I go? I want to do what you do more or less. So yeah, they kind of just, I hit the jackpot, I guess, in terms of mentors. And it yeah. was super lucky to, to have contact with somebody with that sort of experience and knowledge base from early on. Yeah, that's amazing. Meant to be. And what about looking over your career? What have been some highlights that sort of spring front of mind that you're proud of? Oh, I've just had one recently. So we've just become the champions of the Eredivisie, which is the Dutch top flight. So that's that. definitely one. Thank yeah, you. Fantastic. That's definitely one. I didn't, I didn't mean to bring it up, but since you asked, that's definitely one of them. When I was a player, we won a competition in Sydney, uh, Sydney New South Wales, more or less, the, the NPL uh, title. That was like a really big achievement, a fond moment looking back on. And also I got a chance to work with, with John and a few other really interesting, really interesting people and operators with Fiji Rugby in the build-up to the 2019 uh, Rugby World Cup. That was just a fantastic experience in itself in terms of different different cultures, travel, different athletes, different sport for me. I remember we played, I think it was like a, an exhibition match or, or some, some sort of qualifying game, I can't really remember, in um, Stade de France in Paris, and Fiji beat France, and it was a really wow. special, special moment. So, yeah, those are the ones that pop out to me more or less. I'm, I'm sure there's more, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, some great highlights there. Thanks for sharing. And on the flip side, obviously, with elite sport comes pressure. What have been some sort of significant challenges that you faced and how did you sort of grow as a yeah, from a practitioner point of view? Yeah, I think big challenges for me more recently in the, in the last sort of two or three years have been more around communication, I guess, and working with quite a big organisation with lots of staff. I'm sort of more naturally i would say somebody who just goes about their work and not that i don't trust other people but i just sort of do my thing and i'm not a natural collaborator i would say but uh, over communicating i would say would be something that i've learned to do more and more even if it's just a safeguard because you'd rather be clear on communication than having sort of gaps and and things that could grow into bigger problems definitely communication is one of them other challenges there's definitely, there's definitely lots of them. I'm trying to think of more of the prominent ones. But uh, I think, yeah, g- 
getting to know the the it's probably said quite a lot, but getting to know the human behind the the athlete and the person and their families has been big. I remember when I was working for Fiji, I keep bringing up JP, but he used to go and around and consult and visit the clubs and and the players and their families and stuff in the lead up to the World Cup. And although I wasn't there, a lot of the things that he sort of picked up on what when you get to go and see a player in their house and you meet their wife or their girlfriend and, and their children, you get to really get a sense of how their life looks like at home and why they actually do what they do and what their habits are like. I remember he told me also after that that if you can make a difference to somebody's career in that sense and give them the tools to then go on and make a couple of million dollars in, over the course of a career and they can feed their families and, and have a really nice life, that's potentially more valuable or of more value to me than winning trophies and stuff. So I really enjoy that that aspect of it and having good connections with players. Not going too far that you're too friendly with them because then it's it's a bit harder to push them to dark places, but making connections that you can you can keep. I've also met some players in Europe that I'll I'll have connections and friendships with for life. So that's also I think that's really rewarding. Absolutely. So well we're gonna dive into the key topic, mate, the multifaceted approach to performance and player development. I guess we'll kick it off with what makes Feyenoord sort of unique in this space because, like we mentioned off air, that you know, I think probably most elite clubs try and be multifaceted, have that approach. Um, yeah, what do you think makes Feyenoord sort of unique in this space? Yeah, I, I don't think there's any one thing that you would say, oh, well, they do that that's at Feyenoord that other clubs don't do. But I do think that the mix of all of the things together sort of does make us unique in the way that we operate. and. It might be difficult for me to communicate that. And if you, someone like yourself came and watched us work for a week or a day, you might see things much more clearly, but I'll do my best. I think for us, our multifaceted approach is, like I said, all clubs try to do that, but we look at it in sort of four, four pillars or four key areas. And those are movement literacy and, and movement quality, uh, lifestyle. So that's a whole host of things underneath that, but movement is the same. Periodization and planning. And then DNA and, yeah, going a bit deeper on supplementation and diet and these types of things through, through that, that testing. So all four is, yeah, it's quite a, lot of, uh, quite a lot of information that I could delve into on all of them. But I suppose if you look at the lifestyle, for example, there's so much going on outside of just training time and club contact time for, for any athlete, but for footballers especially. And that includes enormous amounts of stress, of, of travel, of pressure, but trying to get those sort of ducks in a row for, for players in terms of nutrition, sleep, recovery, stress management, mental health, psychology, whatever it may be. It's not that we have one cookie-cutter approach that we get a new player and you, you, you sign for us, Jack, and it's like, okay, Jackie, you're in our program. You've got to do this, 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 this. We're very heavy on individualization of almost everything, but those are our, those are our key sort of pillars or, or, or cornerstones of our, of our training system, training philosophy. And from a sort of actions approach, is that something that is up on the walls? Are the, are the players living those pillars or is that more just for the high-performance staff to refer to when you're going about your planning and, and reviewing things? I don't think the players would be able to explain the pillars to you in terms of that specific arrangement, but I think they would be able to tell you from A to Z what type of things they're engaging in from week to week, day to day, season to season. I don't think it's super important for them to know the specific structure of it or that they're doing something that's related to lifestyle or that they're, we're periodizing or we're planning these sessions at this time for them. But 
I do think it's important that an athlete can ask, why are we doing this? That they can answer that question also if, if I were to ask them. But if someone like yourself asked a player of mine that they can ask you or they can ask me, why am I doing this? You can ask them and they can give you a clear answer. Hopefully we've explained it to them because that gives them then the, the sort of not necessary explanation, but the reason to go all out and to go full throttle in it. And that's really what we ask from them. So it is built into the culture, but it's not written on the walls per se, <laughs> like you so, said. Yeah, that makes sense. And the DNA one, is, so is that specific to a younger group of players or is that relevant for, for all players? Like what does DNA sort of mean? Yeah, so I won't, I won't, I hope I don't step on the toes of our consultant that we use for this project, which is a, a Belgian lady. She's fantastic and she knows way more than I do. And I, she's upskilled my colleague and I on this quite a lot. But I apologize if I, if I mistread in explaining it a little bit. But basically, we have for all our squad players the option, and we have done this past season testing of DNA. So saliva, sweat, urine, stool. Uh, blood also if it's necessary and from that we get dna testing results and stomach or microbiome testing results to explain a little bit about yeah, what's going on in their system the microbiome one from the stomach gut health point of view is one that we've done with everyone that's come in and out the dna one we've done with a, a bit less not the entire squad because it's a bit more time consuming but from that you it's sort of like she explains it as in taking an inner selfie of the body so a selfie from within side you can yep. sort of the way we explain it to players a little bit is you can imagine jack if you're eating your pre-match meal every single time is you know half a kilo of pasta and all this type of stuff and then you're taking your protein shake after every strength session sometimes you have stuff going on in your stomach and in your gut that doesn't allow the absorption of nutrients to be then delivered to your muscles and if you're eating carbohydrates but you're not your your system's not very adept at digesting and moving that sort of energy around your body that might just sit in the lining of your stomach and then comes out in your stool sort of wasted so i kind of someone like me will explain sort of things about efficiency of movement and why that's important in training but i think also if you look at the efficiency of the digestive system and your supplementation and stuff like that it could be a, a massive limiting factor so we've tried to breach that space a little bit in the past two seasons and we've had some pretty promising outcomes with, with the players as well i feel like it's something that 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 might be you know within five or ten years might be in every single club in fact i'd probably bank on it but it's it's obviously a bit of a growing a growing space and a growing science and i guess what you know you need to have a, an element of or especially for elite athletes it can be quite motivating when they've got some feedback that's you know quite scientific and real and like you said individual to them do you find that by simply measuring those that that in detail that testing they're more motivated to to get, get quality sleep eat healthy you know and recover well have you noticed changes in, in actions in that space in some yes i'd be lying to if i said all 30 players are like yeah let's go i'm gonna sleep you know from reading their profile you get sort of like a uh, a kpi like a sheet that says these are my all of the my tendencies of my body so like i said sleep and my am or pm my caffeine intolerance and my lactose intolerant gluten carbohydrate sensitivity blah, blah blah all of these things that goes on am i endurance type in terms of training am i responsive to strength training blah 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 and it's a lot to take in there's a lot to take in for me and i've been fascinated by the stuff for years and i've studied in that area but you can imagine also for a player sometimes it might be a bit overwhelming i think the most important thing is from that analysis you're then able to make individualized tailored supplements so 
It could be your post, post-training shake or something that you take pre-game or at halftime um, that is then related back to the findings of your individual report. And I think the most important thing, which we've had, I would say, 90% success on, is that the players understand, again, the why. Like, why am I taking this? Well, we've found that you're not, you're not able to digest this. And if you take this, it will help you a little bit when you're getting ready to engage in intense exercise, like in a game. And they say, okay, I understand that. I'm going to take it. So it can be a powerful motivator. But at the end of the day, I think it's also the, the, the manner of delivery. So it's up to myself and my colleague, Ruben Peters, that I work with. He's the other head of performance at Feyenoord. The way that we deliver it to them and the way that we follow up is, is I think, the most important thing in terms of keeping them stimulated and motivated to keep leave no stone unturned and, okay, I'll keep doing that. Okay, I'll t- keep taking these supplements. Like you mentioned about sleep, those, those, those types of low-hanging fruit, we have to check those boxes as much as possible. Very good. And, and for, I guess, young athletes tuning in, what, when, when you get a new player to the club that may be developing in this space and, and is quite raw, hasn't been exposed to this type of training or education before in terms of living an elite lifestyle, what have, what have been some most common mistakes that you feel like younger athletes are potentially making and what are some areas that they should be focusing most of their energy on? I guess your big rocks rather than just your, your one percenters when it comes to mm. preparation. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's quite common that you, especially in the, 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 uh, the generations that are coming through now, it's a, young, it's a generation removed from myself and even my generation was very much starting to grow up on devices and phones and stuff. But uh, when players aren't able to get to sleep at night until two, three in the morning because they're gaming or they're on social media or they're on their devices, you know, <coughs> that's everybody knows that that's not the best way to prepare. But we also know clearly the science of, of how that is affecting you and, and how that can have a, be detrimental to your performance. So it can be quite quite a, a difficult learning curve for them, especially when it's so ingrained in their habits if they've been doing it since they're, you know, 13, 14, 15. And yeah, we, we have that we have that quite often. And to a certain extent, the players have to adapt to the club and the organization and the, the training system or the training philosophy. But I do think also that the club and us, we have to also adapt to them. So we can't just throw the cookbook at them and say, you got to do this, 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 this. It's also somebody like my responsibility, I think, to take a look at the player and say, listen, you're a fantastic talent, if they are a talent, and then say to them, we know that for whatever reason, you're not sleeping at night until 2 a.m. This is the lowest hanging fruit that you have right now. Let's get this right this month. And after this, let's move on. You'll still be doing the training and everything, but we're not going to zoom in on any fancy training programs because if that's not sorted first, you're always going to be handicapped in what you can deliver. Uh, So I think attacking those things one at a time and narrowing the focus has been big for us. But it's a really big challenge. I, I don't think by, by no means is it, is it easy, but certainly the why of why do I need to go to bed at this time? Why is it helping me before the, okay, what can I do and how do I then implement it? I was also a young promising or hopeful, let's say, instead of promising, young hopeful footballer, you know, 2021. 20, and I also... I enjoyed staying up till midnight and beyond midnight. I'm more of a night type person, but I know what it's like. And I also know when you get to a certain age, you start thinking like, oh, this is not, I don't know if this is sustainable, but I think it is helpful that you have people surrounding you that say, mate, this is for, for someone of your potential level, this is unacceptable. And if you want to get as high as you can, as fast as you can, 
we need to focus on this and those those big big ones for me really is sleep nutrition and recovery outside of the club from a from a lifestyle point of view and i'd also probably add mental skills mental robustness on top of that as well so. and you mentioned yeah focus on that rather than tweaking all the other things so really focus on that for the next month and then review it and and move on to the next thing or perhaps reflect on, on some changes that you can still make to make inroads on that specific area of focus is that a sit down chat with you and the player or is that a team working with players at more a corridor sort of conversation where you're checking in once a week on how their sleep's tracking talk us through i guess that process on how that looks from a high performance point of view work with athletes yeah the, the, it's it's important for us as performance heads of performance or performance department in general to have regular contact and the regular sit downs because those sit downs are i feel like they're an opportunity for the players to also speak as well as to get attention and it doesn't matter for me if they're the, the captain and the first one on the team sheet or they are the guy who's played the least amount of minutes they should all get the same amount of time and attention and it's a little bit from there it's up to them how much they want to invest and take it further obviously at the end of the season if one player has just shown absolutely no interest in improving themselves then we're not going to sit with them as often as somebody who's super enthusiastic but everybody gets their time and i feel like those times when you do sit in a room and you're just having a having a you know casual conversation about it those can be and have been for us i feel really powerful we do do it sometimes there we do it with the with the head coach sometimes with his assistant coaches sometimes with a video analyst or sometimes with somebody else like someone in a position such as yourself rehab coach or somebody from medical who has a really good relationship with the player could depend really could be like a, a psychologist sports psychologist consultant but those are happening every month every six weeks more or less on a needs need needs basis really like if they're really struggling it might happen more it's not to say the corridor conversations and stuff don't happen i think those are you know the coffee chats are also quite interesting but those are a little bit more colloquial and sort of like run of the mill i guess but yeah, then it will be from there, okay, what are you wanting to do in terms of your career? What are your goals and what are your dreams? Not too many players say, I'm just happy to be here type of thing. They want to move up and up and up. <clears throat> okay, if you want to then do that, these are the things that you're going to need to, to do to, to get, your, get yourself in order and, and perform at your best and increase your potential. And then from there, it's, it's a matter of consistency and us pushing them, setting up habits. And those meetings are good little feedback points, I feel, because if we have a meeting, you're a hypothetical player, Jack, and we have a meeting and we have some action points at the end of the meeting, meeting, discussion, and then you go and train for a week, but we've not seen anything as far as those action points from that meeting in your behavior, then we'll just sit down again as soon as possible and say, listen, mate, here's this sheet. You've told us you wanted to do this. You, we've agreed and you've committed per se to be doing this for a month and you've done nothing or not enough. Where are we at with this? And it's surprising what, what sometimes players say to you, I feel, um, when they're given that opportunity, you know, because mm. also, you know, yourself uh, being an athlete or, you know, as a player, you're not always as a young man confident enough to go to the head coach and say, coach, I'm not happy with this. Why aren't I playing? Or can you tell me what I need to get better or whatever? It takes, a, it takes quite a mature person to do that. And sometimes meeting them or beating them to the punch or, or going to them and having them, they have to come initially. It opens up space for them to say, well, actually, I feel this way and I feel this way. And sometimes you're pleasantly or unpleasantly surprised, but there's things that you can take action on then that are really crucial in, in making behavior changes or on-field changes. So I find that I find that space 
I really enjoy it. I really enjoyed doing that. And, and for you, Lee, where did the multifaceted approach really start to ring home on how important it is from a high performance point of view? Is it something that's evolved over time? Is it something JP instilled you from a young age? Is it something that being a footballer yourself, you've sort of been around it? Or has there been moments where you've sort of seen the contrast where it's not been done well and, and you've seen the negative effects of that compared to when it, when it is done well? Talk us through, I guess, your journey. Yeah, I think a bit of both. Someone like JP's teachings to me was very, very broad in scope, as in nutrition, hydration, recovery, all, all the things that I do now. Is all, a lot of it has been shaped by the exposure I got from, from two things from JP. But also there is, the, there is those, when I moved to Europe uh, and saw sort of elite football over there and the things that were happening, there were experiences that made me realize personally, and I'm sure the staff that I was working with, like, okay this this is actually really low-hanging fruit because we can't for example our players we have a one of the best stadiums no we have the best stadium in the netherlands and they play in front of fifty thousand plus people every single week sometimes twice per week and that's stressful it doesn't matter how experienced you are they all get nerves I, i know they do and that's normal but when you're coping with that each week and sometimes things don't always go to plan or things aren't always perfect you have to have I feel tools and ways to cope with that stress, but to bounce back from setbacks. So we've had consultants come into the club who work in the space of mental health, well-being, or performance psychology, or in in different areas. Not one guy that's in all of those areas, but having those types of things value to the players, but also upskill us as a staff in that area to then continue on working with the players in that space. That's definitely been. That's definitely been big. And there's the, the, the example that you mentioned of sleep. You know, there's been really poor examples of, of lack of sleep or poor quality sleep or inability to demonstrate knowledge of the why or knowledge of what, what is good sleep and why I need to get it or how do I get it. So a little bit of both, I, w- I would say. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, br- bringing in consultants to not only work with the players, but also staff. <laughs> Have you found that as influenced sort of your way of coaching is it from a communication point of view is it just education and having tools to be able to educate athletes and do presentations like there's a little bit of both talk us through that how it's influenced your coaching style or management style the the consultants what they bring to us yeah yeah i again that's something that from someone like jp who worked with people like eddie jones i've never met eddie jones but i never worked with him but if you read someone like Eddie's book or you, you watch an interview or, or, or a podcast with him, you, you hear how fanatically obsessed is he is with rugby and with not just rugby but coaching and teaching as sort of like a, a version of coaching and getting better constantly every, every opportunity he gets. And I sort of, as a younger coach a few years back, was like, I, I need to do that as well, you know, constantly learning. So I'm super enthusiastic about getting good quality consultants in. And definitely it's it's adding things into your day-to-day coaching. I know we've had one consultant from the UK, a sports psychologist. He's been fantastic. And some of the things, just little tiny things that he's mentioned to me, I've straight up said to him, can you watch this strength session? Can you watch this field session? And then afterwards saying, can you, can you give me some brutal feedback? And just the little things that he would say to me, for example, if you're speaking with a group, a group of 25 guys, when you start something up, bring them in as close as possible so that you can maintain eye contact. That's the communication can be really clear. You can look all of them in the eye and then you can break off. It's, it's almost like that huddle formation, <laughs> if you want, is almost like a gathering of, all right, we're going to do this together now. 
this session is really important that we all do it together rather than a bit scattered. That's just one small example, but little things like that have been great for me personally. But I also know that some of the stuff that we've been brought in as a staff group has more been valuable for us to use as a staff, as a collective. So not just one person doing it, but working, the coaches speak a similar new language, so to speak, as the players do and that we do in terms of, again, sports psychology or something to do with something technical in, in football. That's also a really exciting thing because in that space, you can be constantly upskilling and, and learning. And for me, that's one of the really exciting things in our type of jobs is that when you get something new where you, you're like, this is, this is fascinating. Is it backed by science? Is it backed by experience? Um, when I try it, is, does it work for me? And then tweaking, how can, how can I make it work better? Or does it not work at all? Discard it. But again, super interesting. And how do you balance, uh, I guess, the short term in terms of a week-by-week performance or sometimes two performances and sort of the long-term development of that player, particularly for the young players that are highly talented and playing in the first team straight away? I guess, how do you sort of, can you fast-track their professionalism and, and lifestyle to be able to handle the demands of the game? Like you mentioned, the, the big crowds and the pressure that comes with that, but also the physical side of it of it all? Or, does it, or is it just a matter of it does take time and you've got to be able to allow that athlete to sort of mature in, in their own time. I think it definitely, it definitely takes time. How much time is the question? You know, it's a little bit like if you're rehabilitating someone that's got an ACL, ACLs, some people will say it's going to be 12 months, but it, it's not the time, it's criteria based and how, how thorough you want to work and check boxes to then compress that time. I look at it as very much the same way. It does take a certain amount of time. <clears throat> it's not going to happen overnight. But is the question is, is it going to take three seasons or is it going to take three months or six months? You know, I've seen both happen and I've seen some really, really well executed cross department acceleration plans deployed for specific players. So I know that it can work from experience. It takes a hell of a lot of commitment from the player and a hell of a lot of resiliency as in like just putting yourself through training, through extra things. But it can work and it can work quite fast. We've had one player I can think of in particular has come from a different part of the world completely, really, really, <coughs> excuse me, really, really out of shape in many facets of the game and been able to turn around really fast after a World Cup break this season, so sort of like a second preseason, and just start going, start performing on fire game in, game out. So it is, it is possible. And, of course, you have the, like you mentioned, the short-term sort of are we winning games, that's that's always tricky because in my type of role and also in the, the coach's role, the, the the MO is to win games. But I do also think it's to develop players. I like to think that's a really important part of my job as well. And like, like I alluded to before, really rewarding. Obviously, when things are going bad, it's not a good thing. Like it's not a nice feeling. That's also the same for the players. But if you lose games, if you get dropped from the squad, if you can't get into the squad, all of those things are setbacks and disappointments. And I like to think that with some players that we've been able to sort of teach them that those things are going to happen in your career, whether you're 19 or you're 26 or you're 31. It's how you cope with them and how you deal with them and what your reaction is to that situation that will help you in the long term. And we try to always say to the players, your career is like a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you'll be feeling good at some parts of your, your marathon and you want to always finish strong and be happy with it at the end, but it's such a long race. So when you get disappointed 20, 21-year-olds players, 
we want to give them the skills as, as best as possible, you know, th- sort of from areas of like stoicism and stuff like this, where you look at the obstacle as like a, as a, as a way, way forward to progress. I actually just funny, I say that now, actually, that's probably why it's in my head. We got a really bad injury, FM rupture who had to have surgery <clears throat> and he's a lovely fella and he works really hard. He's got a good attitude. And I recommended a book to him that was, it's a Ryan Holiday a book about stoicism. I don't know if you read it, but I recommended it to him. And he went away and he came back a day later and he said, I listened to that book and I listened to an hour already and I love it, you know? So probably a good example of someone who's willing to take action on the, the sort of invitations that we provide to them on upskilling themselves. But yeah, back to your question, getting dealing with, with, lo- with big losses of games, with finals, losing those games, with not being in the squad part of your life, figuring out how to bounce back from that and building up your mental resiliency, I think, is just as important as, as physical training. And for, for the scenarios that you mentioned where it is possible to, to fast track and those that are really driven, what would have been some sort of consistent themes? Is it the player that really comes to the staff and shows that maturity like you've referenced before or, or is it a, or you mentioned how important is the whole team buying in and, and driving the same message? Like what do you think are the most important sort of themes to a successful young player developing and over a shorter period of time and hitting those criteria markers that you've seen? I think the team environment and the culture is super helpful. It doesn't have to be there in my experiences, which is not it's not 30 years of experience, but in my smaller small experience amount, it doesn't have to be there, but it can be a big booster and a big accelerator. For example, we have had in the last two seasons, two things that spring to mind. One is like a breakfast club. I don't know if you ever saw the, the Michael Jordan, the last, da- the last dance mm-hmm. documentary. They had like a breakfast club training in the morning with the famous PT now, forget his name, but uh, they were coming in doing weights early in the morning. So we've had a breakfast club running and in the group that we had this year, the breakfast club initially was obligated. We made three players obligated to come because they needed it and they came in every training morning of the week earlier than the rest of the group and then they had breakfast after that, after the training and started with three and then by the end of the season, it was 12 players. The original three had graduated, so they didn't need to come anymore, but they kept coming. And another tw- another nine came in. So that's the sort of example where players will train, they talk to each other, and they have a feel for, is, is this good? Is this good for me? Does this work? Uh, I want to try this. If, if Jack's doing it, I want to do it. And yeah, let's invite Lee as well, and we'll train in a three. So that's, that's one example that can just accelerate your habits. And if you have one extra training session per day that's of good execution and good value, then can be super helpful. Another one is we do like monthly challenges as well at the club. And it could be a different challenge each month. It could be lifestyle related. It could be yeah anything we've done, challenges where they have to jump in sort of eight degree ice when they arrive in the morning, like fully jump in and jump out. That's all they have to do every single day that they report. We've done challenges with like trying to have no processed, no processed sugar in their in their diet. And then the last one of the last month this season was not anything to do with myself or Ruben who were sort of curating the challenges before, but one group had this 100 push-up per day challenge, but it just organically sort of grew from the playing group. So that's another thing where like when you have those types of things happening, that's been sort of an idea spawned out of, you know, three or four players and then you end up with 10 guys doing it. Of course, you, you you don't want them just doing bicep curls all day long, but it was a it was a nice example of something that they came up with then that can help the acceleration of a young players or, or any players sort of growth throughout a season or 
getting their form up really quickly. Be interested in the breakfast club, but what is that like a modern day fat club? They're doing extra cross training. Was it more an athletic type training session where they're doing strength and power work? Like how did that complement, you know, if it's happening four to five times a week, how did it complement the main program and had to juggle that from, you know, obviously try to mitigate injuries while they're, you know, allowing them to do some extra work on top of Yeah, that. actually it was all, it was pretty much exclusively all coordination-based training. <clears throat> so yes. the players all have, we're big, really big on individual individualization of everything, but especially their, their training plans. So we have an app that we use. Each player has their individual page on the app, <clears throat> which could have anything on it. It could have nutrition tips, sleep tips, whatever. But in, when it comes to their training material, it will then have different types of sessions. And if they have like a coordination-based session, they'll have like a little mini library of things that are important to them. So some guys who can't break and suck at decelerating, that's a lot of their stuff that they have to microdose throughout the week. <clears throat> and those morning sessions are the perfect opportunity to do little bits and pieces of that so that it doesn't have a big you know, neuromuscular load that can affect them the day after or in the training session for that day. That's mostly what, what that breakfast club was. I remember in Fiji, there was also like a, a group of guys came into camp overweight. So there was like a fat club in the morning, but it was much earlier and it was much more ruthless, ruthless training than what we have. But I think you could almost say that the, the habit of getting there, being there each morning and engaging in the training is potentially even more valuable than the content of the training. But yeah, it was consistently small coordination based doses of, of training for. Decel, agility, axel, top speed, stiffness. The players just in terms of growth of numbers and then also sticking around when they weren't, didn't have to do it anymore is a good sign that they're obviously benefiting from it. Were they finding, for those that haven't done that coordinative base movement, you alluded to Franz Bosch sort of influence before, what, you know, what were some key things that the players were saying that they felt it helped them with in terms of their performance on the field? Yeah, I think that's, is it is it that for that style and that coordination based training it's it's a tricky space because it's not like you have the feeling at the end of a session that like you're completely dead and you know some players more or less want that like they feel like they've sweated a liter of sweat out and that they're you know that that or that they've squatted so heavy and they've got muscle pain that that needs to be good for them with this you don't really have that so much and it takes time but in my experiences of training myself it takes sort of three or four weeks and then you're just starting to feel that extra bit of sharpness in whatever it is that you're working on not to mention the sort of the effect it has on your robustness and the resilience in your body and your tissues so you just feel like you have less niggles tightness aches pains in my experiences also with players so it's not that they say like oh i've been doing this for two weeks and I'm, i feel so fast it's more that it's subtle but if you ask the players i think now at the end of the season after three months of breakfast club or the co coordination-based training, they would say like, listen, I've been, I've been fit all season round virtually. I feel light. I feel fast, but I also feel strong. I feel that's a little bit more the reporting that you get. But I must say also that sort of the, the, the Bosch style and coordination-based training for us is largely the foundation of our, or the, the, yeah, the foundation of our training philosophy. A bit different to AFL and rugby, obviously in that there's not a big need for a huge sort of protective structural morphology with the contacts of rugby and stuff. So when, when we're not engaging in tons of traditional strength anyway, so they, they're kind of used to it. And for those three players that had to rock up each day, was that because they've had 
a heap of injuries that, that you felt like putting a block of work would make them more efficient and mitigate injury? Or is it more getting in some good habits, like you mentioned, the benefit of actually getting to bed early and waking up early had just as much benefit as the actual training itself? I don't think that the, the getting to training earlier changes the, the footballers' minds so much with the with their sleep. <laughs> in my experiences, they just they'll go to bed late anyway. <laughs> but it was it was certainly not a punishment. For one of them, it was that he was struggling with overall output in games, in terms of just total volume. But also, you could see in the moments that he needed to press. He's a striker <clears throat> that he needed to press the defenders on the opposite team to try to turn over the ball or if he needed to make quick changes of direction or accelerations that like we've, we do a lot of movement analysis in the club as well and filming him in, in big training games and in normal games, you could just see that he's just was having some, some troubles with his explosiveness, but also just the way that he was moving around back and he's just getting pushed off, pushed off access or pushed off the ball way too easily. So for him, that was, that was the aim for him and the, out, the outcome was, couldn't have been better. For the other guys, it was not that they had any injuries or any problems of sorts. It was, I think for one of them from memory, it was a defender and accelerating. So turning and going is as in a back line. If you're a striker, Jack, and I'm a defender and you run past me, like that I have to turn my shoulders and, and go. We call it a turn and go. He needed to really get better at that. And that's what he said he wanted to work on. And then we put the breakfast club option to him and he kept coming. So can be a mixture of, of, of things. In the end, with all the players that were coming, none of them had uh, big injury problems. So, But we have had one, one or two guys who were working their way back that also had to come and work with sort of our, our version of UFOs in the breakfast club. So sometimes there was more than one coach and there was two groups at two different times, for example. So, yeah. And how do those sessions look? You mentioned they're, they're highly tailored to the individual and the way they play and, yeah, focusing on on drills that are specific to them. How does the flow of the session go in that sense? If it's one coach, the sort of 12 athletes, are you grouping them in ones working on acceleration and one's sort of top speed mechanics, one change of direction, or are they literally all following their own program individually and just doing going about their own time and the coach is sort of going on the floor and just tweaking them, giving them feedback? Yeah, so it's not that dissimilar to our, our well, like we change quite often throughout the course of the season, depending on what it is that we're working on, how many, what our schedule is like. <clears throat> but more or less, it's come in together. We did split them into groups because 12 was too much to, to get going at once. So one group of six will come at whatever time, and then 15 minutes later, the, the second group will start so that you can have time to explain and whatnot. And the first Two things, more or less warm up, but they kind of get started for the session. They'll do, everyone does all together. So they're like uh, non-negotiables or fundamentals, if you will. And then after that, they'll go on their individual plans. And if some guys share some focus points, then they'll be, they'll be coupled together in a two or in a three, never usually more than a three. Then they'll go through just a mini session. So usually it'll be four exercises, depending on what it is. If it's, like I said, the, the D-cell type stuff, it might be only two sets because we'd just want them fresh for the training that day and don't want too much of a, a Dom's response the following day. And then that's it. They'll go, they'll go upstairs, have breakfast. And yeah, that's more or less what it looked like. It's not that we couldn't have changed the style and it could have been, for example, offbeat conditioning or something like that. It's just at the time for what we needed with the players who were coming. And we had a coach who worked with us coming from the academy as well, who's a fantastic young coach who did really well with, with those sessions with myself and the other head of performance and the rehab coach. 
we just kind of moved, mixed it around and kept the focus the same. In your experience, you mentioned how with the movement analysis, you can see if players are getting a little bit sluggish and losing their explosiveness late in games, in big games, in focusing more of your time as a coach on their efficiency of movement and breaking down those specific areas where they are breaking down in a game that you're seeing with the movement analysis compared to improving their capacity, like aerobic capacity or extra cross-training sessions. Have you found you get more return to effort with working on their efficiency of movement compared to jumping on a bike, let's say, and doing aerobic capacity? Or do you, or is it not one or the other? It's a little bit of both to get the best result. Yeah, I'm not opposed to, 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 the, to the both or I'm not opposed to one or the other, but I do it case by case. Obviously, some players, if you're working with them to make big coordination-based changes depending on age, depending on training history, depending on injury history, you might be looking at someone whose who's movement habits or their, their movement patterns are so ingrained in a poor form of stability that to get them out of it, it's going to be a 12-month job or longer. In those cases, you might be better off just going for the off, you know, capacity-based in terms of traditional strength or conditioning off feet or on field, but others where they're young or they have a relatively low training history, then you know, okay, within a couple of weeks, I can make, you know, not instantaneous, but quite quick changes for in comparison to, you know, for example, traditional strength is going to take probably 12 months to, to, for the system to adapt fully and to reap the benefits from that type of training. So, or it could also be both. Yeah, it could also be both. Like the player, the strikers that I mentioned, it was both. Um, but I think being blindly following one or the other, that's probably been a lesson of mine as well. Earlier on in my career, I was very much like everything is based on coordination, which I still to a certain extent believe to be true. But yeah, there's definitely space for capacities to be built up as well. I just don't think, especially when you look at it from a strength point of view, I don't think that lends enough weight to looking at things like developing affordances on field. And that's why everything that we do is individualized based on movement analysis and movement patterns that transfer that are important to us on the field. And everything is linked. So from the strength to little blocks of transfer training or movement skills, which we do pre-training or post-training, all of those things are also communicated to the players like, hey, listen, we're doing hip hinges in the gym where you drop really low, really suddenly. And we're doing that also on the field where we're stepping in, where we're punching a ball away or something like that to sort of develop the strength and coordination and the awareness of you and your body that you can decelerate like this when you need to run and press somebody and so that you have your body has more tools at its disposal and it can accept more invitations from the environment potentially. I'm certainly no super expert at it, but that's the way that I look at things now. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned the movement analysis a couple of times now. Is that something that you use some software? Is that your performance analysts that are feeding that back with the sports scientist to yourself and Ruben, or how does that sort of look? We do that in we do that in preseason testing and all the way throughout the year. So usually we start in context. So actually we just get an iPhone. If I'm filming you, you're in a small sided game, or maybe it's eleven v eleven, or in training is always best because I can go around and move at different angles and whatever else. And I'll just follow you on Zoom. Like iPhone Zoom cameras are fantastic these days. Follow you on Zoom, but the most high intensity periods in your five minutes or whatever it is. It's a little bit painstaking finding those moments. But when you do find them, looking at them afterwards, the process is subjective at the moment in terms of the in-context analysis, but making little notes on more things that if people want to know about it, looking at the work of Franz and reading his his books and his texts and his courses is, is really interesting. So finding out what, what a stable 
attractors or really important movement patterns that we want to see when I'm running at top speed and then saying, okay, that's not there. We have to develop that as much as possible. And then we'll have diaries, movement analysis diaries, where if you're my player, Jack, and I'm showing this to you, you've got a strip of, of clips from a training session in, what are we now, June? Then you have another one in August. It's underneath it. And it, all of these have notes. So you can look throughout the season like, okay, how, are your, how is your movement and your, your movement literacy evolving over the course of a season? And then if a player is there for a few years over the course of your career, and that changes constantly depending on your capacities that you develop, your injuries that you acquire. So it's really interesting when you get into it. It has its limitations because it is quite subjective and it's done almost exclusively for us by one or two people in the club. But we are also starting to work with some people that JP has put me in contact with, ViewMotion, who are also getting into that, that space of automated video analysis. But at the moment, that's not in context. That, that's only for sprint acceleration 505 tests. So it's somewhat more sterile environment, as in you're just running a pre-planned route, which I think mm. also, ha- also have its, has its limits. But the fact that it's automated is awesome. And for the most part, if you accelerate 10 meters all out and then you compare that to the accelerations in a game, the things that you show and you don't show in that acceleration run will more often than not pop up in the game as well. So we do both. Yeah, makes sense. The view and then from there, con- construct the training programs. Sorry, just wanted to add that. Yeah, yeah that's fantastic. Is it, we'll start to wrap up the show, mate, but is there anything on a multifaceted approach that we haven't sort of touched on that you'd like to share? I don't think so, man. I can't really remember how we started, to be honest. But <laughs> we dived into a pretty deep end. Yeah, yeah we did. It's been great, mate. Well, moving into the last few, have you got pet peeves, mate, anything in the, in the industry or in your work life that sort of fires you up, makes you angry? I think not, not that it makes me angry. Obviously, I get, I'm human. I get disappointed and I get frustrated. Probably one thing is like I like to be in the mud with the pigs, like doing the training and getting stuck into the work. I get energy from that. That's what drives me. So being in meetings sometimes one after another or being in meetings for the sake of meetings with no actionable points at the end of it can frustrate me. So, yeah, probably in the future, I'll like to look at getting a consultant to upskill me and not saying that my staff aren't good at meetings. The staff that I work with are fantastic. But somebody who can be like, all right, this is how we do it at Google or, or Facebook or whatever. Meeting has to be 15 minutes. It has to be standing up because... Otherwise, if you just sit down, then you just sit and for 45 minutes or let's put a timer on the clock and once 15 minutes is up, we haven't got actionable points. This meeting was was cancelled or it was a waste of time. But uh, yeah, being efficient with your time is important and sometimes I'm, I'm just like meeting after meeting after meeting. So yeah, we'll, we'll yeah. go that one. What about favourite way to spend your day off? <laughs> Ooh, day off. I have to be careful here if my missus listens to this. Usually spend, spend time with my missus in the morning. And then I'm always, I'm always training. I'm always doing something. When I'm back home and, or when I can, I love to surf. And when I can't, I'm usually doing some form of martial arts, like mixed martial arts or kickboxing or wrestling or something. It's quite a good kickboxing culture in the Netherlands. So that's been fun. So you usually find me there on the days off. Very good. And like you mentioned, we're middle of the year of 2023. What's on the horizon for you? I mean, you've already achieved a championship this year. So what else are you excited about for, for the rest of the year, mate? Yeah. We have qualified for the Champions League, so that's really a big, a big step to look forward to 
for next season because I've never been, never been involved in that tournament before. Like apart from the World Cup, it's probably the biggest tournament in football that you could play in. So pretty excited for that. And yeah, we've got some good things coming with the project that JP and I work together on, Speed Power Play. There's some good things coming with the app. So uh, yeah, technologies, I feel like it's about to explode. So in terms of some some new things coming coming out with all AI and that GPT and all these types of things. So I'm also excited for that, what comes in that space. Yeah, it's a great app. I, I downloaded the hip lock section of the app and been playing around with the drills over the last sort of year and it's been fantastic. And JP talked about an upgrade that you guys have been working on. When do you think that will be released or is it still in the works? It's more that it's sort of pivoted a little bit. So now we're, we're kind of looking at it as a bit of a performance hub. So someone like yourself or a younger version of you or me that's interested in coaching or is a young athlete in any sort of field or team sport might want to upskill themselves or learn a little bit more about what, what, is, what are the things that are, that are evidence-based, that are, that are coach experience-based that I can use to better myself or better my athletes. So it's sort of ideally going to be a one-stop shop for, the, for the, those types of things. We're hoping to release at least one or two of the the modules available to the public within the next month or two months. So that's 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 the aim. We're working with a few organizations at the moment. But yeah, that's that's the focus. The old one that you used is not 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 impressive compared to the new one. So I'll make sure I gotta hit you up with the with the prototype version for you to test out test out yourself. Yeah please do. Yeah I'd love to. That'd be great. And yeah when it is ready we'll add the link in the show notes. So for those listening in that might be driving listening to the podcast they can access it. But um yeah, that's fantastic, mate. Plenty happening and plenty in the pipeline and I really appreciate you coming on. If the listeners have any follow-up questions, where's the best place to get in contact with yourself? Usual usual suspects, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Always happy to, to chat to enthusiastic people. Well, thank you for those that have tuned in. If you tuned in halfway, make sure to watch the whole episode or live on our YouTube channel until we release it in two weeks' time on our usual day on Wednesdays. And our next live interview is with Ben Grifford. They'll be on 8th of June at 1 o'clock Australian Standard Time. So I'll see you guys then. Thanks again, Lee. Really appreciate it, mate. Thanks for having me, Jack. Awesome. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. 
Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the Shredley Edition coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat, um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time. Um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things mm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear Fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and, yeah. and, yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.